Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, wealth coach up here at Total Wealth Academy. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. As always, I'm going to invite y'all to call in in case you have any questions or comments for this show or previous shows, 281-558-5738, or you can send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com. As with all of our shows, I'm going to start with the quote by Albert Einstein, which says, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Now, while I've been saying this quote at the beginning of every show, I just got a thought, and I wanted to really examine this real quick, that there are some things that you might not really want to change. There might be things that are working perfect for you that aren't really the things that you need to be have changed. That's, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what he's referring to. Everybody's got things that they need to give themselves credit for, but to stick and stay with a specific combination of what we're doing, especially when it's not getting us exactly what we want, or if we decided that there's something different that we want. Our brain has changed as it inevitably does, whether we like it or not, and we end up wanting different things sometimes. We can't expect that doing the same things over and over again are just going to get different results. We have to give ourselves credit for the things that work, but we have to realize that if there's going to be something different that we want, we're going to have to take different actions, we're going to have to have different behaviors, and that all starts with different thoughts in our head. By focusing away from all of the negativity and focusing on the positivity that actually makes a real difference. It's not to say either that we should ignore the negativity out there because it is out there, but you don't have to absorb it in the way that allows it to affect you and keep you from being able to take action on something important. So I want to ask a question, and my question is, why would somebody be afraid of success. Why would somebody be afraid of being successful? What could be some of the primary fears that cross through someone's mind whenever they think about having that type of life? What could it be that makes people want to not do that type of life? Now, a lot of times... I think people are getting caught up in a sense of fairness. I feel like, and it's never been expressed directly, but I feel like many people indirectly have indicated that they don't want to attain a certain level of wealth because it's going to be unfair to other people. Like having a $500,000 in your savings account or a million dollars total net worth is somehow automatically and always taking that value away from somebody else and making it completely impossible for somebody else to get that value as well. The 
thing I want to start looking at here is the difference between the scarcity ideology and the abundance ideology. When you're looking at something like a zero-sum game where you have to get something from somebody else and they can't have it anymore for you to have it, that's something like they did in the medieval era or the ancient era where you said that you wanted to take somebody's land and first of all, you weren't you weren't trying to be nice about it. You just wanted it, so you decided to go to war, take it by force, and now they don't have it anymore, and now it's yours. That's, first of all, war is one of the worst things, and I would say it's the worst thing that humanity has ever done. And Civil War General um, William Tecumseh Sherman said it best. He said, war is hell. He didn't, there's nothing else to elaborate on that. War is hell. It's the worst thing that humanity does because it allows all of the other bad things that we do to basically be given perfect permission to do. It's the worst thing ever. That's the biggest zero-sum game out there. You want to win, so somebody else has to lose. That's not how it's going to work if we're going to keep moving forward as an effective, peaceful society. That line of thinking has been tremendously destructive and has caused people to look at building wealth and success, and I would say in a very, very skewed way sometimes. They're going to look at building wealth by taking advantage of other people. I mean, stealing from other people, squirreling away money and all of these elaborate Um, offshore accounts that prevents them from having to pay the taxes that they otherwise would owe. All of these advantages that people take advantage of that, in that sense, are not fair. If it's something that the middle class cannot take advantage of, then that's not going to be something that's considered fair. If that tax advantage is only available to those kinds of people, that would be something I would consider to not be correct. That's something that our government should be addressing and preventing so the middle class is able to build wealth just as effectively as the upper class. You want to create that transition point between the lower, middle, and upper class so there is that possibility, that potential for people to transition. That is the healthiest thing that you can do for any economy. And as I've said before, the unhealthiest economies are the ones where People at the top control everything, and everybody else is effectively a peasant. This is what I like to call feudalism. That's what feudalism was, but I like to call it neo-feudalism. It's basically trying to create this system where you have the nobility, you have the kings and queens, and you have everybody else as the peasantry. We cannot create an effective, equal, egalitarian society without a rich, thriving middle class. And yes, the middle class has to be rich as well. Now, without being in a zero-sum game, we have to be focusing on how this wealth is built in many different ways. Our favorite example to highlight is building a house. And Let's just take a simple amount of $250,000 and say this is what it costs to build this particular property. You had to spend 
a full $250,000, and let's say you got a construction loan, or let's say you paid cash, it doesn't matter. You bought the land, you paid for the survey, you paid for the inspections, you paid to get the foundation poured, you paid to get the plumbing rough-ins done, put the frame up, the sheetrock, the roof, the windows, the paint, the floors, the fixtures, everything. So after the break, what happens after you've built this house? What value has been created when this house has been built? Stay tuned, y'all, and once we get back, I'm going to explain what happens after a house is built here in the city of Houston. Stay tuned. If you have money in an IRA, 401k, or other retirement account, you can use it to invest passively in real estate without tax or penalty. Our average rate of return is three times that of the stock market and mutual funds with much less volatility. If you have over $70,000, you can start passive investing today. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. Let's get back into our $250,000 house project. So you spent $250,000, either completely out-of-pocket cash or you got a loan for it, which covered most of that cost, and you had to pay for that land, the foundation, the plumbing work, the frame, the roof, the windows, the sheetrock, the fixtures, the granite countertops, the cabinets, toilets, everything to get the house completed took a total price tag of $250,000. For some of us who are familiar out there with new construction homes in Houston, which has been a very big booming industry, um, especially over the past couple of years, and especially with the COVID um, economic explosion, which was completely opposite to what most people expected, but here we are still in it. There have been a ton of new houses been built around Houston. What exactly do you think a house that's been built for $250,000 is worth in the Houston market? Well, it's going to be worth a significantly higher amount than $250,000. Let's say that it's just worth $250,000 for the sake of making this example crystal clear. The $250,000 has been given to many, many different people. It was given to the person that owned the land. It was given to the person that does surveys. It's given to the person, the team that poured the foundation, the team that put in the plumbing, put in the electrical, put in the frame, put in the roof, put in the windows, put in everything. So $250,000 has been pushed into the U.S. economy, has been pushed into the hands of many talented craftsmen, and once this entire project is done, you have a house that's worth, let's say, $250,000. So adding it all up, what is the total economic impact of this particular activity? $500,000. And in reality, more. And let's say the house is worth $350,000. $350,000 plus $250,000 gets you 
$600,000 in value right off the bat. And as in a lot of areas with newer home builds, those values tend to go up pretty fast in those first couple of years. As the immediate area gets significantly more developed, but let's just go back and say it's $500,000. That was a $500,000 economic impact total with all of these people in this process getting a nice chunk of change from this activity. That's one of the biggest ways that the abundance economy works. The fact of the matter that this $250,000 project is really $500,000 shows you the abundance that comes with that type of thinking. We didn't just go over to someone's house and put our, our suit of armor on and put our get our crossbow and just steal everything like it was in the Middle Ages. No, we actually paid people that allowed them to supply their families, and we created something. We built something with the help of a ton of people. And we help them in the process. So when people start focusing on the abundance ideology, the idea that everybody, and literally everybody, can get benefit from economic activity and creativity and development of all types, that's what's going to get the best results for our society, for humanity in general. Not the idea that if I built that house, I somehow took this plot of land from somebody else and they're never, no one's ever going to be able to use it again. That doesn't even make sense because I'm not going to live forever. Sooner or later, I'm going to sell that house. If I live there for my whole life, I pass away, somebody's going to have to live there. It's not just going to sit there empty. That benefit is going to get passed on to other people. There's going to be a lot going on from that one economic activity. And that's just another example of the way that it's so effective for building wealth for so many people. Besides just the main person at the top of this project, quote unquote, that would be you if you were the one building it technically, but you ended up helping so many other people in the process. So if we're understanding that... It's an abundance conception that gets the best results, at the very least makes us feel the most confident in how we use our money. What's going to be keeping us from just doing something like that in the first place? Why is that idea so terrifying to so many people? And I mean literally so terrifying that Most people won't even do that activity. Like they're not even going to try it once, let alone two, three, four, five times or more. What is going on that keeps people from taking action on something that clearly works and clearly has such a significant impact on the economy and helping other people at the same time? With that fear... I really want to reemphasize the fact that how can somebody, the question, how can somebody be afraid of being successful? 
if in that example you're seeing that you're not just the only one getting the benefit, all of these other people are getting benefited too, why would you be afraid of being unfair to other people in this in this scenario? That's not the unfairness. That's the fairness in action of abundance that allows multiple people to get benefit out of one economic activity. And when we talk about fear, though, there's a lot of different things that somebody could get hung up on in terms of taking action for the very first time or even just making a phone call or even signing up for one class to just get introduced to what we do. I mean, our sample class is not a scary event. It's going to be me talking to you for about an hour, an hour and a half, showing you the principles of how wealth is built through real estate like I did just now, but way more specific in terms of how it develops cash flow, appreciation, and principal pay down too. And then we answer questions after. You get to have some wine, get to have some beer, have some snacks. You get to visit us at the office. If this is something that you want to do, I promise you it is not scary. It is not something to be afraid of. We really designed this to be a comfortable, just easygoing introduction to figure out if this is something that you want to do. And quite frankly, if this is not something you want to do or you don't like the way that I speak or you don't like what I said, you know, I 100% understand that. I support your decision, and that's not something I'm going to pressure you away from whatsoever. I'm not the kind of pressure guy that's going to do that. If you decide to come out to our sample class and this just isn't something that you want to do or something something says that this is not it, I completely understand. I do not create that high-pressure press, environment at my classes. So, With fear, Zig Ziglar, in case you haven't heard of this man, but Zig Ziglar, definitely one of my favorites in terms of organized motivation and discipline. I'm really, really making sure that I highlight the discipline side that comes out from these quote-unquote motivational speakers because motivation is not 100% of what you need. Probably is the catalyst that you need to take action in the first place to get that spark. But once you have that spark, you have to sustain the fire that's been started. You can't spark the fire and then cover it Because the fire is going to go out. You have to sustain the fire of that goal, of that passion, or else it will go out. So the discipline comes after that, and that is much harder. That requires a ton of work, and it requires work on a daily basis. But Zig Ziglar says, fear is an acronym. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. So something that we're looking at as evidence that's not true, we believe it to be real, and the dangerous thing is because we think it's evidence, we believe it to be completely true and verifiable and something that we could show to other people to validate our decision-making. And fear is going to be something that's going to really, in most situations, prevent us from doing something rather than do something usually that and of course it's a it's a lot of both 
But most of the times the fears that we're talking about are things that keep people from doing something. Like, I don't want to jump off this building with this base jumping, or I don't want to go parachuting, or I don't want to go kayaking, or I don't want to go swimming, or I don't want to travel outside of the country. Fears like that. F-E-A-R with false evidence appearing real. My clearest example was when I was a little, little kid, talking about three and four, I had a monster in my room. Did anybody have a monster in your room when you were a kid growing up? Lots of people. Most of the time when I ask this question, yes, somebody has had an experience like that. So what exactly was that monster doing to me and my behavior as a little, little kid? Once we get back from the break, I'm going to show you what it did to me as a little kid and how those fears translated once I became an adult. And that translates to everybody as adults, too. Stay tuned. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. We are going into the fear example that I experienced as a little kid. And this was when I was around three, four, and starting to sleep in my own bedroom completely with my own full-size bed at that time. So I started getting afraid of a monster in my room. And this was a monster that I felt was different than the monster that a lot of my um, fellow kids at that time, like my students and, you know, we were students in kindergarten and preschool at that time. Um, Well, this is actually before kindergarten. But they had a monster that was in the closet or it was under the bed. And this monster in my room could be in either the closet or under the bed. So I just told everybody that, hey, th- this is this is the worst monster ever because unlike the one that you have, it, he can be in either the closet or under my bed. And with that in mind, because I didn't know, if I tried to get out of bed in the middle of the night, I knew that I was going to get grabbed, and I wouldn't know from where. He would be either under my bed and grab my ankles or I'd start walking towards my door and he'd come out of the closet. It was something that completely terrified me. The problem specifically was that as a little kid with a very small bladder, if I drink anything before bed, I'm probably going to need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. When you are scared to death of getting grabbed by a monster... Are you going to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, even if you have to go super, super bad? No. So what I ended up doing was I basically tried to go back to sleep as fast as possible, looking around the room, trying to figure out where it would be. 
And most of the time, I would be able to go back to sleep. I'd wake up in the morning. There was light in my room. My mom or my dad would have opened the door to my room by then. I know I was safe. Then I could go to the bathroom. Then I could actually, I would understand that I was not in any danger. And I felt like my bladder was going to completely explode at that time. So this monster was something that was significantly affecting my attitude and affecting my ability to take action. We all know the answer to this question, and it's going to sound ridiculous, but I have to ask it. Was the monster ever real? Was that monster in my closet ever or under my bed, literally ever? Absolutely not. I completely made it up, basically based on natural little kid fears, the the shadows in the room, the dark space under my bed, just stuff like that that causes your um, developing brain to start attaching things and fears to things so you avoid danger. And that survival brain activity is going to be important, of course, to the extent that it keeps us away from danger. But that survival brain activity becomes a very, very hard crutch for us when it starts to keep uh, keep us from taking action and doing something that we need to do. Like, for example, if at any time getting up out of bed, three or four, needing to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, there was never going to be something to grab me. Nothing was going to pop out. Nothing was going to hurt me. My night vision was completely fine. I didn't have a mess in my room or anything like that. I would have been in there, out, perfectly fine, and would have had a perfect night's sleep the rest of the night. So we know that the monster is not real. But what happens whenever we become teenagers? What happens when we start becoming adults? The monster goes away, but that fear sense doesn't. The fear sense sometimes, and I would really say most of the time, for most people, gets more powerful, stronger, but it becomes more mature, and it becomes more adult-friendly. It turns into things that are not monsters in our room, but it turns into things like saying, I don't need to be successful, I can't be successful, I don't deserve to be successful, or it's unfair to be successful. If I'm successful, I mean, look at all the drama that you see online about celebrities, right? Look at all the stuff you see in People Magazine, right? Gosh, being a celebrity just seems like so much work. It just seems so insufferable to be followed by paparazzi, to have people analyzing your life all the time. That's that's just not the sort of thing that I want to do. And then you talk about more money, more problems, right? You becoming a millionaire ends up meaning more of a problem, and it doesn't solve your problems because, as they say, money doesn't solve any problems, right? So why would I pursue that? Now, those are some of my favorite fears that have been thrown around because when you spend time on Internet forums, like Reddit, for example, you see, you see a very, very interesting take 
on many of the things that make the U.S. the U.S. and the economy the economy and the work culture the work culture. And that skewed sense of fairness is definitely an underrated fear for a ton of people because the idea that you don't want to be wealthy so instead you're just going to do a regular 8 to 5 job for 40 years you know that doesn't make any sense you're going to do something right so why are you trying to convince yourself that being a millionaire is going to bring all of this harm to other people if you know who you are and you're not the type of person that's going to take advantage of others you don't you don't really need to be the person that needs to worry about that and ultimately i would argue that if you're the type of person that's worried about that to begin with you're the exact type of person that needs to be wealthy you're the type of person that needs to have the money to influence people, to get your message out there, to help and serve other people, because you're the actual type of person that has enough of a conscience to think consciously of whether or not you're going to be a decent human being with that amount of power and wealth. I think that those types of people that look at themselves that seriously are the people that really should have that influence and that wealth because they're the people that are going to be the biggest help, make the best choices, not hurt other people, not abuse other people, not abuse their power. That's That line of thinking is good in that regard, but not when it becomes something that sabotages you from getting started in the first place because there's, those are those two classic choices. Build up a business, build up something like real estate, Get yourself in a financial position that's significantly better than what is currently the average set of financial positions. You don't have to feel guilty for not wanting to be financially average. You don't have to feel guilty for having a higher bank balance than somebody else. And then you certainly don't need to feel bad when it turns out that you're not the person that has the most money out there. Because there's there's always going to be someone, most likely, unless you're literally the richest person in the world, there's still going to be people out there that have more than you. But you have to start taking action on something that builds that wealth, that gets you out of the mindset that you're just going to be doing 40 hours of work for 10, 15, 20 years of retirement on low income. The fact that that ever became a thing at all for anybody in this country is completely ridiculous and absurd. The idea that the world's largest economy by far, and by the way, we've been, as I learned recently, the biggest economy in the world since the year 1890. That was the height of the British Empire, by the way, for our history buffs, like me. This is when Britain owned all of India, about a third of Africa, all of Canada, all of Australia, 
the biggest empire the world has ever known in the first industrial powerhouse. By 1890, we as one country, a big one at that, but we'd already surpassed the British Empire and became the world's biggest economy in 1890. So what happened that turned us into people that are accepting of a life of four decades, five decades of working for somebody else's business to retire on a puny amount of income and then pass away without giving anything significant to your children and grandchildren, financially speaking. Why would you want your family to be in a worse financial position? Why would you not want to give the gift of that financial advantage to your offspring, to your family? Is that something that people guilt themselves about as well? Is that something that might be holding you back in terms of building wealth, is that you don't want to be unfair and give your kids an unfair advantage? I'm not somebody who agrees with that, and I really hope that you don't agree with that as well. Once we get back, we will finish up the show and go into more of the details about this discussion, y'all. Stay tuned. joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And this is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that's going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars in the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the final segment. If you want to send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com, please do so. If you want a copy of the free book, Richest Man in Babylon, you can send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com. Of course, if you want to call into the show, 281-558-5738. would love to talk in detail about the topic at hand. That's always the most fun. Now, I want to give us the market update for the stocks because, as I've promised, I'm going to be doing this every week as well, really quick, because last week I emphasized the fact that we had a modest upturn in the stock market, and I didn't want to be that type of person who suddenly drops off giving information out that may seem slightly contrary to the primary message, which is positive to real estate and against most stock investments. But that being said, after some modest gains last week that caused some of them to slightly be less worse, now we're back on another downward spiral. The Dow Jones year-to-date is at negative 9.44, S&P 500 is at negative 12.5, and NASDAQ is at negative 21.07. With NASDAQ being the biggest loser, we were looking at four weeks ago, month ago now when it was at a full negative 25.94 year to date. So we're kind of getting back on that trajectory now. Keep in mind that this is the issue that stock people are having right now. You're in stocks, your friends that are in stocks, your teachers, your coworkers, your boss, your relatives, 
we've got people that are losing value significantly as we speak. This is the drop that's happened from January 1st to now. So they're not making money on those investments in those particular indexes, of course. Of course, these are indexes. They are large compilations of many stocks. Depending on everyone's stock portfolio could be different, but that's so important because it's showing you with all three the overall trend of the stock market, which is downward, which is not making money, which is losing money, and you don't even account for inflation on top of that at that point. That's just the total value. So if you add on the 9% inflation to the negative 21%, that's more like a 30% loss. That's not looking pretty for people that are primarily invested in that biggest loser, which is NASDAQ stocks. Could be an opportunity for people that want to buy low and sell high, as you're supposed to do in the stock market, but not everybody times it right for some reason. I mean, maybe it's not possible. Maybe it is. I'm not really sure if that's something they'd let you do in the stock market for everybody at once, because I highly doubt it. You still have to keep that value there, at least enough for the company to run effectively. But the people that are holding on for dear life right now are suffering bad. Please don't just suffer bad into a recession and then just watch your value go down and hope it goes back up. Hopefully we have another COVID tier recovery kind of event. I'm thinking about that now, folks. I don't, I don't know what could happen that would be like COVID to create such a completely opposite reaction to the economy than having this little micro-recession after COVID started. Everybody thought this was going to be a massive recession for like one to two years. Nope, didn't happen. Tons of people at the top got richer. The middle class got screwed over. This has definitely been one of the most significant wealth transfers that we've seen. And I love the use of that phrase because as you've seen the stock market go up, with COVID and NASDAQ going up to record highs in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that has got to be, I mean, that smells extremely fishy to me. That is extremely bizarre. And we don't have to look too far than to see that many of the people in the world that are the richest have gained huge amounts of wealth during the COVID pandemic. Did the middle class gain a bunch of wealth? No. Did the lower class gain a bunch of wealth? No. The billionaires and the ultra millionaires did, on the other hand. And that's one of the things that I like to highlight there as the neo-feudalism that we really need to avoid. And if the government's not going to work to develop a thriving middle class... Regardless of who's in office, regardless of the party that you vote for, regardless of who you attach your ego to party-wise, you have to have a team in our government that allows the middle class to thrive. And it does not seem like that's the effect that we've gotten recent history and over the last couple of years with this COVID event.
there's been a ton of stuff that has changed for a lot of people that's allowed the middle class to get in a worse financial position. So with the stock market knowledge awareness, with all of this being considered, why would we want to keep doing the same pattern that keeps us stuck in the lower class and middle class? If we know that there is a possibility still, and I say still because there's people out there that are so cynical that they simply believe that it is not possible for people to transition from the lower to middle to upper class, it is still extremely possible, has to always be possible, whether it's harder to or easier to now or not, the possibility is there. And the stock market is not the key for people to do that. As you hear during our blurbs between breaks, during the breaks, stock market was not designed to build wealth. It's an extremely risky wealth building vehicle, if that's what you want to do, because you have no control over it. You have to hope, without doing any insider trading, that you're going to get it low and it's going to go up and then you can sell it at the right time. Very, very risky because if it just goes down with no control with you, you lose a ton of value. It sounds obvious. It sounds like something that you've heard a million times before, but some people do not know that. That's why I have to say stuff like that. Some people do not understand the risk of the stock market and they invest in it because of all of the influence out there that says to invest in it. It's far and away the most well-known and popularized investment there is, which is weird to me because it's so risky and it's ultimately an investment that's allowing you to hopefully make money, but for sure contributing to the money and wealth of the person that owns that business, the people at the top of that business. And do you get any recourse if the value goes down? Definitely not. So why do you want to keep putting your money into something that you don't have any control over? You have to have some control of over your money, some control of your financial position. This isn't about being control freaks. It's about being aware of the reality that the stock market gives you absolutely no control whatsoever. That's one of the biggest reasons why it's compared to gambling so much, and I would say fairly. You don't know what's really going to happen. You put money in, and you basically just hope that it's going to make money. That's not how we're looking at an investment. It's hard for me to even say that stock market investing is investing in the first place because you're not going to get to do the comps. You're not going to be able to get all the information you need to really know if it's going to go up because that's what's considered illegal. That's the insider trading that gets you fried. But that's the insider trading type of practice. That's what people do in real estate on a daily basis. I mean, if you wish you could have gotten on top of investing in Tesla 
or getting into Bitcoin whenever it was first, you know, worth nothing and then it expanded rapidly. I mean, this is the way that we look at investments in real estate to determine if I'm going to buy this rental property that was $250,000 in ARV value, I found that value by looking at the comparable sales. That information is more or less public, but you're going to go to a real estate agent in this insider trading tier practice and say, what's the value of this house? I see the price that it's listed at now, but it's messed up. So what's it going to be worth once it's fixed up? And then you know going into this deal exactly what that ARV is going to be. You get your rent rates. You're going to get your mortgage rate. You look at what's the mortgage going to cost and put everything together. Put yourself in the driver's seat of your investments, folks, and get into something like a single family property and get away from the stock market as much as you possibly can. Don't need to sell all of it, but put yourself in control with some real estate. Thank y'all so much for tuning in, y'all. If you want to come out to the class tomorrow, that's at 6.30 p.m. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com forward slash class, and I'll see y'all there. Thank you. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.